Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the Transatlanticist podcast at the America Centrum in Hamburg. My name is Andrew Sola. Welcome to our second episode about new democracy initiatives with our experts on deliberation and sortition, Antoine Vergne from Mission Publique and Ahmed Radi Taleb. Here's a quick summary of what we covered in the previous episode. We started with definitions of sortition and deliberation. Sortition means using a process of random selection in order to bring together people into a citizen's assembly or jury. These people then provide advice about matters of public importance. Deliberation is the process whereby these juries learn about an issue. That's the first step. They then discuss and debate the issue in a patient and civil manner. Finally, they create recommendations for policymakers, political leaders, or the public at large. These new democracy processes can be very effective because a member of a citizen jury does not have to worry about getting reelected, for example. You are just selected. We also discussed some failures of traditional decision-making and policy planning, namely the U.S. decision to invade Iraq and Germany's decision to stay hooked on Russian oil and gas. But we also looked at some failures of more participatory democratic processes, namely the Brexit referendum. Lastly, we looked at how some of these new democratic initiatives are working in different places around the world. We'll continue the conversation with a discussion of some successful real-world examples of sortition and deliberation. So let's start with you, Antoine. We've discussed a lot of the theory behind sortition and deliberation. Can you describe how Mission Publique is using these new democracy concepts in the real world today? What exactly are you doing and what's your role? Yeah, so my role, as I said before at Mission Public, we, we design and implement such deliberative processes. And we have the question on how to scale them because there are questions like climate change or the future of the internet, uh, which are uh, global in nature or oceans, for example. And for that, at the moment, what we have as tools of decision-making are international negotiations, or uh, sometimes multi-stakeholder fora, but the, there is a, a lack of uh, involvement of ordinary citizens on those decisions that uh, impact them. If we take the internet, even if you don't have internet, you are impacted by the internet because the logistic chain, because uh, everything is, is connected to, to the internet. So a basic um, question is, how do we involve ordinary citizens into that process of decision-making? And the way to do that is uh, transnational uh, deliberations or global deliberations. We, the, so we, the, the two most recent uh, we have done is indeed um, a global dialogue on the future of the internet. And we had a process which we call decentralized in which we, we had a, a group of stakeholders uh, from uh, governments, private sector, international institutions and civil society. And we put them together and asked them, what are for you the, the five questions for which you you have no answer or no, no good answer. And on, around the table, you had people like the European Commission, uh, the UN, the German government, 
Facebook and Google, uh, the Web Foundation, and we ask them, okay, you are talking about the future of the internet with another, but you don't agree. And what are the big questions for you? And based on that, uh, we ask, okay, so what is the the need, uh, the help you need from citizens from all over the world to uh, go on solving those questions? And this was the questions that then we asked to people in uh, 78 countries of the world, in which uh, in each of those countries we had a partner, and that partner deployed a dialogue at local level with the same methodology, the same kind of input and information. And then we could gather all the results from all over the world and feed it back to the decision makers. So the idea is how we create that bridge between global transnational discussions and local ordinary citizens. So that's with the internet. Another example that is more recent is um, what we are doing now (laughs) with the European Commission. The European Commission has decided to, to deploy uh, citizens panels, they call them. So it's a group of 160 citizens that are randomly selected from all EU member states. And they come to uh, Brussels. So they, they work during three weekends. Uh, one is online and two are in Brussels. And uh, they tackle a topic on which the commission is working. So the commission is, uh, as uh, you may know, producing policy at the European level. And in the preparation of those policies, now they include a citizens panel. So they choose a topic and they get the feedback from the citizens before uh, advancing on their uh, proposal. This year, we we work on three topics. The first one is uh, food waste. Uh, So to reduce food waste, and there is going to be a directive. And to inform that directive, the European Commission has a group of citizens. The second topic is going to be learning mobilities. So uh, mobility in Europe uh, for learning purposes. And the third topic is going to be virtual worlds. So the metaverse. And here, again, so we are working with the Commission in order to, to see what European citizens think about the metaverse when they think about the metaverse. These are examples of transnational processes we are working on at the moment. Thanks. Ahmed, do you want to... Yeah. A quick question, Antoine. Uh, are each of those going to be its own three weekend processes or are... Yes. You're not doing each one in one weekend because th- then no, it no, would no, no. be kind it's... of... No, no. Only an exercise. Okay. Yeah. No, no. Okay. Um, the the interesting um, the very interesting on on that process is first that it is officially in the process of policy making from the Commission. So that's uh, something I couldn't even imagine five years ago. So if I I talked at the beginning about my trajectory, and and I think this is a definitely a milestone. Uh, and and the other thing is it's uh, multilingual because the people come and uh, talk the language of their country normally. Uh, and so we have to do everything uh, with 24 languages, so with interpretation and um, ways to, to have communication between people uh, that is also maybe non-verbal, uh, but that is uh, makes it possible for someone from uh, from South Portugal and someone from North uh, Finland to talk with another uh, without talking the, the language of the other. Fascinating. So what we're seeing is some real progress in in this. When the European Commission includes participatory democracy in its procedures, you would say that you're making progress as a movement in general. Yes, definitely. You 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 said you could not imagine this ten or twenty years ago. So that's great. To me, what it sounds like is is the goal of democracy is to provide solutions to problems as, as they arise. Is that what you, Ahmed, think the goal of the democratic process is? Do you think of it in a problem-solution 
type way or in another type of way? No, I think it, it, it's more than that. Uh, that could be um, part of it. So what has fascinated me about observing these processes? I saw this in the trial jury, but I also saw it when observing, for example, a, cit uh, a citizen jury in rural western Minnesota about what to do uh, uh, regarding, they didn't want to call it climate change in order not to scare Republicans, they called it extreme weather events. So they could have a nice mix of people who, who participated. You know, they talked about what their city could do to, you know, to improve uh, agriculture and energy efficiency and, and other things. But so I, so there I saw this. And also when I observed the um, German Citizens Assembly in 2019 about reforming democracy, they called it uh, Bürgerrat Demokratie. How do we make our beloved, they gave it a nice name also not to scare <laughs> conservatives <laughs> or people who are less, um, optimistic about democracy way, how do we improve our beloved representative democracy in Germany? They gave it a really nice name. So, um, I observed, observed it there too. That was four days over two weekends um, in person. <clears throat> the other process I observed was four days in a row rather than two weekends. But at the end of each of these things and throughout, I've observed this kind of what I call the democratic euphoria with people. And I said, this can't be about just solving a problem. This is about something else. And that's when in my research, I started going towards an, uh, kind of an Arendtian uh, understanding of politics. Politics is not just about solving problems. Otherwise, we could just have a technocracy. But it's also about becoming fully human in some sense. There's something about being a real citizen and about being fully human that's, that's connected. One participant in Germany had this comment at the end of, uh, there was maybe he was interviewed by a, a, a German TV station or, or radio station, and he said, I went from becoming a resident of my city to becoming a citizen of my country, something like that. I'm translating, of course, what he said. But there's something about, you know, in, in Barentian perspective, being seen and heard, to, to see and hear and, and, uh, and be seen and be heard, and to participate in really making the world in which you live. And I've definitely seen this, you know, people being teary-eyed, people hugging the facilitators, people hugging other participants, people like being ebullient with, this is what real democracy is like. If only we had more of this, the world would be a better place. And it's not one or two outliers. This is like 80 or 90% of participants have reactions like this, which, is, which blew my mind. Antoine, may, may I build on that? Yeah, yeah, I, I like to because so I'm in the in the business since twelve years, and finally, so Ahmed, I I, I love what you said because it's about joys and, and and happiness, and and so I I I always wondered why does it work? Each and every time you do such a deliberation, it works. People come together, people talk, are respectful, find solutions weight pros and cons it's it's so and there are two two big 
ways of argumenting normally on that in the, for people that support those kind of processes. The one is saying it's a procedural thing. It's because it's opened. It's because it's uh, transparent and you, you, you have a way of in, in, including people in the decision making. So they feel heard and they, and they, they can participate and they hear, um, testimonies, different point of views. And that, that makes a lot of sense. There is another register, which is normally the, the cognitive one. It's because you have random selection, you have cognitive diversity, and cognitive diversity gives you a higher probability of better decisions. Okay, that's fine and good, but it, it never explained for me why it worked so well. And in last summer, I read a, a book by a, an historian from the Netherlands called uh, Humankind, the, the book, and it's about human nature and the question uh, if human nature is good or bad. And, and then he, he does a, a lot of research. He goes through a lot of research on, on uh, human nature and, and uh, archaeology and, and genetics. And then I understood. I understood that there is an essentialist dimension to the deliberation. It's because when we as humans come together and talk with another, we are happy because our body starts producing oxytocin. Our body starts to, to, to feel with the other and there is something biological happening. And it's a very strong argument. But then I, at once I understood it's, that's the thing. People come together, they, they, are, they, they feel that. They, and that's also why, why since ever people <laughs> all over the world gathered under the trees and, and everything. It's because it's something we do very well. One of the key arguments of that book is that actually it is our specificity as, as human uh, species that we are good at collaborating, we are good at coordinating, and in a way, that's that's democracy. It's uh, that capacity to to take these collective decisions and and be happy because our 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 nature makes us happy in in those processes, and that's what you experience when you see a deliberative process. So it's a, a way of answering that question of democracy. I am so now I am convinced it's more than a process. I started thinking, okay, you, you just need to get the process right, but it's, there is more to it than that. And I think that's, that's something that we kind of experience each time. The rioters who stormed the Capitol on January 6th described their feelings exactly the same way. They felt democratic euphoria. They had felt alienated so long, and finally attacking the Capitol made them feel a sense of, of belonging. I'm just throwing that out there. Like sometimes I'm afraid of feelings of euphoria because they're easily misguided. Hamid? Yeah, if, if I could address that, um, you might also be talking about uh, what is it? Is it Le, Le Bon that talked about psychology of the, of the crowd or of the herd at the end of the, of the 19th century? So that might be what's happening in a in a riot. That it's not it's not a democratic euphoria. There's there's no um, the, there's no give and take, and there's no debate there. Um, the, that's just the you know feeling part of a herd. That's a different kind of euphoria. But what some advocates of more demo of more democracy, you know, I've become less uh, optimistic um, over the years. That might be why I'm pausing my research. But and I think they, they they're they're right about this is a genu genuine democracy, which any genuine democracy will involve meaningful citizen participation, more than just you know uh, flipping a switch every four years uh, among 
options that were decided by other people for them, <laughs> that that is a release valve in itself for, for some of this, uh, what I think the Germans have uh, perfect words for things like politik, uh, what they call politik, verdrossenheit. Um, I think that's such a great word. It's more than just apathy, but it's like a disgust at this politics. And most of us are disgusted. And rather than saying that most of us are defective, maybe most of us are right. Maybe most of us are correct. Rather than saying, if only uh, the public was, uh, uh, was more reasonable, they wouldn't be disgusted. Maybe the public is right. Maybe they should be disgusted. You know, maybe it's not enough to flip a switch every four years between choices predetermined by forces that they see are completely alien to them and beyond them. And so uh, more of these kind of participatory processes at various levels, at, at overlapping levels, from the trial jury to um, maybe we can figure better ways to do, um, what do they call it, board of education, what do they call it, the school boards? School, school boards. Uh, we can do better sc ways to do school boards, better ways to do review boards for policing. Uh, there are so many areas where right now we have filtering mechanisms that build in bias, even bias towards people who are retired and have the time, bias towards people with the most extreme views and the most time and money, or bias towards a, a whole bunch of their, or bias towards people who have college degrees, where, you know, less filtering, more openness, but also better processes and better training into how we sit around the circle and and do things and this sorry the training it doesn't involve much because i think um, antoine was was pointing a finger at there's something natural about us sitting around the circle and talking about things and listening to one another and and presenting uh various points of view and so that might be a kind of um you know um uh, release valve for the for the the anger and the fredrosenheit yeah when i when i think about sometimes how these deliberative processes are are described sometimes i read that well you know you spend some time learning about a subject and you you're taught how to think critically and how to listen to others and this stuff and i always think well isn't that what citizens should have learned anyway in school like some of these specific things, like how to listen patiently and how to spot bias in others. So it's part of me thinks that actually, no, we do need to educate ourselves. Partly it's natural, but sometimes education helps. But I, I want Antoine, I want you to respond to something that I was thinking about when Ahmed was speaking. In your experience, do politicians from the right and the left respond the same positive way to enacting deliberative processes. A lot of the specific examples I've heard, like climate change, and you were saying, oh, we have to very carefully name these assemblies so it doesn't scare away conservatives. So Antoine, in your experience, I mean, do conservative people, are they more afraid of new democracy than liberals? No, I think there is no, no rule there. But my experience is that it depends on the country. In France, we have a, a situation in which the, um, the left has done a lot of them and the right, none of it. So it's, it's a very polarized situation in France. 
but it's, for example, not the case in Germany. In Germany, you have uh, across the board from uh, FDP to uh, uh, the left, and every party has done it. And, and it's interesting because if you look at Bayer, uh, Bayern, Bavaria, <laughs> um, they, they have done a lot of it uh, on, the, on the, the rationale that it's uh, being near to the people. So the CSU um, had a, a narrative saying, okay, if we, we need to hear the people and what they say, so we, we need that kind of tools. And in the 90s, they had a, a lot of those processes. They were very uh, innovative and proactive. Um, the CDU at the federal level did a, a couple of processes. And, and again, in other cities, it, it would be the, the, the Linke or it would be uh, SPD or the Green. So in Germany, there is not that, uh, that divide. I, I don't have there is the same kind of, um, of divide. I don't know very well uh, in other countries, but I, I have the impression that it's a more country-specific thing if someone picks it or not. But there is a thing which is interesting in that it can, it can fit to different narratives because it's about being um, more closer to the people or being more open or more inclusive. And for example, at Mission Public, we, when we work at a transnational level, global level, we, we not even talk about democracy. Uh, we talk about uh, citizen participation, about uh, inclusion, about collective decision-making. And the reason is that if you look at countries like China, they have quite a lot of experience with participatory budgeting, uh, with local deliberation. And that's what, where it connects to what I was saying before, that it's a kind of tool that can work everywhere. And it doesn't have to be tagged as democracy because it's a, it can also take into account a local specific context. And it, it doesn't have to be, to be the Western democracy uh, exporting that too. And, and that's a big discussion at the moment about uh, indeed post-colonial uh, deliberation and what it means to... To, to, uh, because it, uh, it was invented, if we, those models were invented in Germany and in the US. So it's a perfect podcast to talk about it. It has been 50, 50 years and, and the two guys who invented that in parallel without knowing from another were a German sociologist, Peter Dinn, and an ethicist in the US, Ned Crosby. And, and they had the exact same idea, a couple of months uh, separated from another in uh, 69, 70 which was that idea of gathering a group of randomly selected people, putting them in front of uh, uh, witnesses and, and, uh, and facts and asking them to do recommendations. So it's a, it's a German, actually it's a German US product and innovation. Um, it has been 50 years around um, and it has developed a lot in the Western democracies. It can be used everywhere. So um, I'm going to make a point that a lot of... Um... People in, in our world have different names from Claritarians, which uh, is based on the, uh, the, the Greek um, urn, stone urn, the Claritarian, with, by which they picked their 500 randomly selected council, which would serve for one entire year. And they would uh, run the, bus the everyday business of government in Athens. So some, so some of us are called Claritarians or Sortinistas uh, is another one because Sortition. But um, I think a lot of people would say, hold on. Um, no, it was not Ned or Peter who invented these. This goes back to at least Athens. And probably if we had better historical records, there's probably other civilizations that were doing this also at the time. Thank you. So we're, we're coming to the end of our wonderful conversation today. I've learned a lot. I just wanted to give uh, both Ahmed and Antoine uh, the last word. If 
if you wanted to give someone advice about how to become part of this process, what, what would you say? Final message to citizens of America and Germany. Antoine? Yeah, that's the problem. If it's randomly selected, you you, you can just apply for it. <laughs> uh, no, but uh, the, the, uh, I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> becoming become active. I think it's... Um, huh. I, I would go another direction. Yeah, no, I would go another direction. I would go in the direction of um, try. It's very difficult. Try to organize, indeed. The, the, in Germany, there is a model which is very interesting. It's called House Parliament. So uh, House Parliament. Uh, it's gathering five to six neighbors and going through a deliberative process with them on a topic. And that's the way you can do it because because it's opening a space, a deliberative space, without polarization and getting back together to that basic principle of we we live together, we discuss a topic together. I don't know at the moment if there is a, 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 such a process going on in Germany. There was one on uh, the uh, climate pact, the European climate pact. But it's um, maybe that's, that's the thing. The thing is, uh, if I give uh, an advice. You don't need to have government approval or a European Commission telling you you can do this. You can actually start it very locally in your own community. Very good. So, uh, Ahmed, what's your last piece of advice you would give people who are interested in this subject? Uh, yeah, there are um, organizations in the in the U.S. and in um, Germany. In Germany, I would uh, recommend Mea Demokratie. Um, they have links to things that they're taking part in, but things that other organizations are, are doing also. There's something called Losland that's happening, I think, right now in Germany, if I'm not uh, Los from Lot and Land. They're doing, I think they're all climate-related, I'm not sure, and in about 10 or 16 different places in uh, Germany. I don't know the, the latest on it. In the U.S., Healthy Democracy out in Oregon has been involved in things like this. Uh, let me end on a, uh, a positive note. I think maybe one of the best examples how to put this this type of thinking and connect it with the, the, the current political system is what they did in Michigan starting uh, last year, a uh, year and a half ago. They did the redistricting, which in the United States is hugely controversial controversial, and it's done in a very illogical, irrational way and very politicized and partisan way. They commissioned a randomly selected citizens redistricting commission and they paid these people very good money to, uh, as long as they agreed to meet at least, I forget the number of times, they had to travel to seven different places in Michigan and hold public hearings and then together get you know from this gathered uh, input and also input online this randomly selected group of citizens redrew uh, michigan's congressional district so if you just google uh, michigan independent redistricting commission you'll get some information on that 
Yeah, I mean, if I had time, I'd, I'd name a couple of uh, critiques uh, of this, but uh, maybe in the show notes, I can reference books that are internal critiques, not external critiques. There are external critiques. There are people who don't believe in democracy, people who think that the people in general are ignorant, racist, whatever, a, a, a list of things. They should not be given power. The kind of elitist system we have right now is is all we deserve. It's the best we can ha- come up with, so we should be as elitist as possible, or maybe find ways to be even more elitist. But people who, who do believe in democracy have critiques in this. For example, one is to say, we at least need some referendum because we need some drive to make everybody participate, not just a small group who gets selected. And if we have this drive, we will also have incentive to educate the general public and also um, educate the general public about these processes too. So I'll leave it at that. Thank you, Ahmed. I think what I've learned today is actually there is much more to be hopeful about, mostly because we have all these great ideas that are developing and young young activists. I hesitate to call you activists because that makes this sound somehow extreme. What I'd actually like to say is there is nothing extreme about this. And I don't think if you're a right-wing or left-wing politician, it should matter because getting better information and better opinions from your constituents is a good thing. So, So I would think it would be important to really focus on describing this process as totally nonpartisan and at part solution-oriented, but participatory. So it was just fascinating. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Maybe, um, Andrew, two, two things. Yeah, two um, things. A reference. Yeah, one, one is about uh, organizations. I think um, in the US, a very interesting one is Off by Four. So it's uh, written off, uh, by, and then uh, for. I'll post this in the show notes, everyone. Yeah. Very good. And then there is a, another thing about the, the future. And and um, and I think, yes, uh, we can be uh, optimistic. I, I have been in, in the field since uh, yeah, almost 20 years. And there are things today happening that were not imaginable three years ago, uh, two years ago, <laughs> five years ago. So I think it's uh, we in some countries we even think reach a tipping point like in France uh, where this has become part of the, the narrative and the political discussion. The European level may be something where we we see it now having reached that point. Germany, um, I mean the Bundestag has just um, published a, a call for a proposal to organize themselves a series of those assemblies as the body representing the German uh, <laughs> public and, and population. So it, we, we are progressing uh, as fast as never on that front. And I think it's uh, it's very interesting to see uh, and very, uh, yeah, optimistic. I think there is something, uh, and, but at the same time, as it scales, also we have a lot of questions to address that were not uh, that uh, critical before because it was a, a phase where you could always say, okay, it's experimentation, it's innovation, and now we are slowly uh, going to the, the phase where it could become part of the business as usual. But then you have big questions, uh, big questions, as you said, Ahmed, uh, that are emerging also on uh, real inclusion. And uh, here, Andrew, we wanted to talk a bit about gender, but that's, uh, that's a question. How do you make sure that you have a, a good inclusion of gender, of underrepresented uh, categories of the population in those processes? 
how do you make sure that the access to information in those processes is made that everyone can can connect to it uh, so there are uh, full of questions that we can start um asking now um that are relevant and that maybe before were less relevant and that's that's fascinating uh, and and a, a good lot of uh, 20 more uh, years of work uh, ahead of us I can't, I can't make you two stop talking. Ahmed, one minute, it sounds like you wanted to say something and then we do have to end this. Okay, yeah, I would recommend a, um, uh, a book or, or an author who critiques this industry, D DIY Democracy, Carolyn Lee, I believe is um, her name. And so she has a, again, like a, an empathetic critique of, of the engagement industry. And she talks about how this could be manipulated by so-called stakeholders, otherwise known as people with power. Sometimes they're not. <laughs> sometimes we use the word stakeholder holder to mean people with power. So the person commissioning one of these processes could set it up so that it gives them the answer that, that they want. So as it's reaching this maturity where Macron called on the Grand Debat and paid all of these organizations to put these things on and encourage people to do it. And also they put on the, the climate assembly. And right now I believe is a, an end of life citizens uh, assembly happening in France. How are politicians manipulating these processes or using them to democracy wash themselves, right? That's that's the big question. Well, well sorry, well, Andrew, I have to react to that because it's it's okay. where it becomes interesting. I will, but that's <laughs> sorry, exactly the point. No, that's no, no, that's Ahmed. That's that's where it becomes fascinating because the climate assembly in France was the point in time in which it became very important. It became a place of power. Many deliberative processes were not powerful enough and could be ignored by traditional stakeholders. The Climate Assembly in France was one of the first instances uh, where it was seen as a place where people with power, stakeholders, had to be. That was very interesting because finally we had reached that point in which deliberative process is part of the democratic life, really as, as a place of people wanting to engage with it. And that, that was fascinating um, for us to see that we, we had reached that moment. And that's what's ahead of us. It's that if it becomes part of the more democratic life, it will be a place for people with power to engage, and it will become a, a something, a non-defined political object that that we have to find. And that will be that will be a good, uh, yeah, it will be interesting to to follow and 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 shape it maybe. Okay, Antoine Ahmed. Uh, maybe we'll maybe we'll meet up again in a year or so and see how your projects are progressing. I'd enjoy doing that. Yeah, thank you very much. It was a very good. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Andy. Just so you know, once again, the views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the guests or the host, not the America Centrum, which does not take any institutional positions on politics or policy. Thanks again for listening.